Uh, how's everybody doing tonight? Is anybody enjoying this cold weather? It's rainy weather? You know, I'm not going to whine. If you watch television um, today, there's a lot of people that are hurting, displaced. More than, uh, I think right at 40 people have died. Um, horrific um, experience for a lot of, lot of people. Um, we need to be much in prayer for them. Um, and we also need to thank God. It, you know, it doesn't seem like it could be much worse, but it could have been. Certainly could have been. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn. We're going to continue what we were looking at last night. Hebrews chapter 12, and we're looking at verses 1, 2, and 3. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. If you would, stand with me in honor and in reverence of the reading of God's Holy Word. By the way, I want to thank you for being here. You know, you could be here. This is a night that if you have a fireplace or something like that, you put some wood in there or you throw a match where the propane is and you cook some chili or something and you hang out. Because that's just kind of what night it is. But to see you here, it, it blesses me. And I just want to uh, thank you because um, uh, God's going to speak to us tonight. and We're going to hear some things from His Holy Spirit. Hebrews chapter 12, starting with verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, once again, this therefore uh, is referring back to the ancients um, in the Old Testament and the examples that uh, they set for us. And as we look at them, we, we learn from them. So he's making reference to the ancients in the Old Testament. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a, it's a joy to be in your house tonight. Lord, I want to thank you for your word. I pray tonight that you would speak to us. You see, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our pathway. God, I pray at this moment that you would fill me with your spirit and, and pour me out. I pray that you give me power, boldness, and passion to preach your word. I pray at this very moment that I would decrease and that your spirit would, would increase. And Lord, I pray that it wouldn't be me, but it would be you. You know who we are, what we're going through, where we're at. For the next few moments, I pray that we would hear what you have to say to us. Once again, I want to thank you for everyone who is here, and I pray that you would honor them tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The author of Hebrews makes three let us statements. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles us. When we look at the Old Testament and the saints, we learn from uh, from them. They threw off and the weights. Some of them did. Some of them uh, had great experiences. And we learn from them because of their example. And because of them, we are to, to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And then let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And we started looking at this last let us statement. The idea to fix our eyes on Jesus literally means to concentrate the gaze on. To look intently as it were to focus. So if we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus we need to look 
at the person of Jesus. And we looked at, at what focus looks like. We looked at the old farmer, Cliff Young, um, how he entered this race, this 570-some-odd-mile race, and he didn't quit. He didn't sleep for over five days. Can you imagine that? That's focus, enduring to the end. He, he was focused. If we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus, he must be the prize. He must be what our eyes are on. Um, focus in the context of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, means to see Jesus clearly. What do I have my eye on? What do we have our eye on? It's real easy to take our eyes off things. I shared with you kind of a funny story. What happens when we take our, our eyes off, uh, off of what we're supposed to be doing? I told you about the diving board and how I sprang to the side and cracked my head wide open. But I'm a hard learner. You know what else happens when you take your eye off the prize? Take your eye and you lose focus. Um, Bryson City, North Carolina was tough on me. You see, Bryson City was where the pool was, where I was on the diving board and lost my focus. Well, um, the story I'm going to tell you tonight also has to deal with girls. I, I guess in the eighth grade, they were just starting to notice them. They weren't noticing me, but I was noticing them. And I had a BMX bicycle, and it was pretty fancy, and I got it for Christmas, and it was now uh, in the summertime. And where we lived, about two miles up the road, there was an entrance to the Smoky Mountain National Park, and a lot of people went camping. And right outside the entrance, there was this um, convenience store. And in this convenience store, they sold tubes, so you could, or they rented tubes, and you could, you know, go down Deep Creek and and... And you could too, but they also sold soda pop and all that stuff. Well, I'm coming down the road, and, and I had learned some tricks on my bicycle, and I thought I was pretty cool. I could put my feet up on the front fender and take my hands off the handlebar, and, and I could go down, and I thought I was cool. Well, anyway, I'm cruising down the road, and I'm going like this, you know, with my hands everywhere they ought to be, and I'm pedaling down the road, and this family's coming out of the convenience store. And I notice a young girl about my age. And I thought, I, can, I want to impress her. I'm an idiot. That's all I can say. You don't have to say amen. It's okay if you laugh. But I thought I would impress her. I'm never going to see this girl again. And she's more than likely not even going to notice. But I take my hands off the handlebar and I put my feet up on the, the front fender of my little BMX bicycle. While I'm checking her out, I run into a pothole. I put my hands on the wheel, but when I hit the pothole, it threw my right foot in the front spoke. Anybody ever done that? What is that? What happens? I done a, I did, I done, I did a flip. It stopped the bike immediately. I went, bam. I am now lying on the pavement. And the bike is on top of me. And I'm sure that family, every time they get together now, they wonder. I wonder what happened to that kid on the bicycle. Ah! I almost broke my foot in half. I limped my bike home. And I vowed then never to take my eye off the road. What happens when you lose focus? Focus. 
All I can say is bad things happen when I take my eye off the prize. When I take my eye off the prize, I lose. My relationship with my wife loses. The relationship with my family loses. The things that God can do with me, I can't do as much when I take my eye off the prize. When I take my eye off the prize, I can lose everything. So the author of Hebrews is saying, hey, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Let him be our example. We saw last night that ships in the harbor are safe, but that's not what ships are made for. We ought to be about the business of doing his work. And the only way we can do his work is to keep our eye on him. Churches that honor Christ, people that honor Christ, do the work of Christ. So we started looking at some things, and here was where we got to. And I just quickly review, if we're going to... Keep our eyes on Jesus. We got to be like Jesus. And Jesus, we know, had a burden for lost people. We saw that last night. If we're going to be like Jesus, we must go and make disciples. And people that go and make disciples have burden. We, we carry a weight with us because we care about lost people. So when we put our eye on Jesus, we know he had a burden for lost people. But I, I want to carry on now as we look in the text and just kind of break it down. If we're going to go and share good news and make disciples, not only must we have a burden, but we must have somewhere in us faith to persevere. We must have somewhere in us the idea that I am not going to quit. The word translated perseverance, and we're going back, Hebrews 12, 1, um, just, just look at it here. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. And let us, going to the second let us statement, let us run with perseverance. If our eye is on Jesus and we're running with perseverance, the idea, the word is a compound word in the Greek, hupomeno. Hupo is the idea of under and meno is to abide. So it's like the idea that I am bearing up under the weight. I'm bearing up under the weight. I'm carrying the load. I'm carrying the weight. I'm not quitting. I'm not putting the load down. I'm not putting the weight down. I am carrying the weight. I'm carrying my weight. That's what it means to abide under. If we're going to care about people, we must persevere. We must abide under the weight. We must not be crushed by the weight. We must not grow tired of the weight. We must not grow weary. We must carry on. And you know what? I see this uh, as a pastor. And you probably see it as, as people in the church. It's the I used to be kind of people. I remember when I used to be. Maybe I, I used to be more faithful than I uh, I am now. Maybe I, I remember when I used to teach a Sunday school class. I used to sing in the choir. I used to do so many things, but now I don't do these things anymore. A lot of people don't do the things we used to do because we do not abide under the weight. We've cast it aside and we're not carrying what God has called us to carry anymore. To persevere means to carry, to abide under, have faith to finish. 
When these words are combined, they carry with it the idea we must be patient in difficult times. We must endure in difficult times. We must continue during difficult times. Literally, the phrase translated run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, could read this way. Run without quitting the race marked out for us. Do you know the race marked out for us? Our race is different but same. We're all heading for the same prize, but how we get there is a little bit different because I work in a different place than you work, and I live in a different place where you live. But as we are going, we're to abide under the weight, and we're to carry carry on in difficult times. Do you know it's real easy to quit? It's really easy to quit. It's too easy to quit. What does running with perseverance really look like? What does running under the weight really look like? Running with perseverance looks like Dr. Nathan Barlow. And by the way, does anybody whine or complain around here? I think I whine and complain too much. But I want you to hear this. When we start whining and complaining too much, I really believe we take our eye off the prize and we're looking at ourselves and our own condition and where we are. And I believe when we're whining, we're throwing ourselves a pity party. Because Jesus didn't whine and he didn't complain. For, because of the joy set before him, he endured the shame and the scorn of the cross. And he didn't quit. But we're so easy to want to quit and give up and throw in the towel. Listen to this story. Running with perseverance looks like Dr. Nathan Barlow. In his book, Crazy Love, Pastor Francis Chan tells the story of Dr. Nathan Barlow, a medical doctor who utilized his, his skills and his training in Ethiopia for more than 60 years. Dr. Barlow dedicated his life to helping people with mossy foot. That sounds good, doesn't it? Mossy foot is a debilitating condition that causes swelling and ulcers in the feet and lower legs. The subsequent deformity and secondary infections makes people with mossy foot social outcasts equivalent to that of lepers. So Dr. Nathan Barlow... Highly educated, could have made a tremendous living in the United States, decided that he was going to go help people with mossy foot. He dedicated his life to treating people, their feet, and ulcers on their feet. Francis Chan goes on to say, I met Dr. Barlow shortly before he died. His daughter attended our church and and brought him to her home from Ethiopia when his health started to fail. After only a few weeks, he couldn't handle being in the United States. The people he loved were still in Ethiopia, so his daughter flew him back home so he could spend his last days there. His daughter was telling a story about her father. Once, she said, my father, Dr. Barlow, got a toothache and had to fly away from the mission field in Ethiopia to get medical attention. Dr. Barlow told the dentist, I don't ever want to leave the mission field for the sake of my teeth again. The dentist removed all of his teeth and gave him false ones. 
This amazing man was the first to help these outcasts, and he spent his entire adult life doing it. He helped these sick, impoverished outcasts in Ethiopia, yet no one ever really knew his name. It surprised me that such a man of God would faithfully serve for so many years, despite the fact that he would never, ever receive great recognition. Wow. That's what running the race with perseverance looks like. It looks like I'm going to run this race even though no one knows my name. I'm going to run this race even though no one recognizes who I am or what I do. I'm going to run this race and if no one sees who I am or what I do, I know there's a living, righteous God who sees everything. And on that day when I'm finished running the race, He'll reward me for everything I've done. And you know who I respect? I respect those people who... They may never preach, they may never sing, they may never do anything that anyone ever sees, but they do it faithfully because they understand there's a God in heaven, they have a gift, and God is using them. If it doesn't go right, we're too easy to quit. If it doesn't go right, we're too easy to whine. If it doesn't go right, we're just not going to do right. I think too many of us were spoiled rotten. I am. I whine and complain sometimes over the silliest things. I think we all do. The author of Hebrews is saying, hey, put your eye on Jesus. Run, but do not quit. Run, but do not take your eye off the prize. If I'm going to be a person, if we're going to be a church that's focused on sharing the gospel and making disciples of Christ, we must have faith to run with perseverance and follow through. We must not and cannot quit. Even if I'm the only one, we must not, we cannot quit. Disciples that make disciples. We have a burden for people like Jesus had a burden for people. We persevere. We have faith to follow through because Jesus had faith to follow through. But I want you to get this. Disciples that make disciples have passion to pursue the purpose of Christ. Underscore that in your text in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Write that down in your notes. And we need to ask ourselves, do I have personal passion to pursue the purpose of Christ? Now, what is the purpose of Christ? Look at Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Notice this. Why did Jesus do what he did? Why did Jesus scorn the shame of the cross or endure the scorn? And endure the shame. Why? He looked down to the end of time and he saw with joy the end. You know what he saw at the end? Those 
who would accept him by grace through faith. And the joy set before him was the fact that eternity awaits those who accept him by faith. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he shed his blood. That's why he was bleeding to an unrecognizable bloody pulp. That's why. That's why he was embarrassed. I don't think he was embarrassed, but he felt shame. They mocked him. Made sport of him. They beat him to a bloody pulp and he did it. Why? Because he saw the end and he saw the joy set before him. Me and you and everyone that would come to faith in him. If we're going to fix our eyes on Jesus and be like him, we must have passion to pursue his purpose. The purpose of Jesus caused him to live with passion. That's a great statement. The purpose of Jesus, it was so great, it caused him to live with passion. Now, I want to stop and just camp here for a second. What are you most passionate about? I have to ask myself, what am I most passionate about? I'm passionate about several things. I'm passionate about my family. And I love spending time with my family. I'm passionate about watching my family do things. Uh, More than I like to play basketball, I love to see my kids play basketball. I'm passionate about some things, but I'm also passionate about things that matter. Some things won't matter. Some things will matter. If I'm going to pursue the purpose of Christ, I must be passionate about it. He was moved because he cared for you and me, for all of creation. He was passionate about creation and redeeming creation. Passion means to have intense, driving, or overmastering feelings or convictions. Jesus said in John 10, Verse 10, the thief comes to kill, to steal, kill, and destroy. But what does he say at the end there? I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly or have it to the full. Jesus came so that we could have life to the full. The phrase joy set before him. You know, our language, our English language is so, I'm just going to say it's vague. Part of the fullness of time, when Jesus came in the fullness of time, part of that idea is the fact he came at a time when uh, the Greek language was widespread in his culture in his day. And the Greek language is so more graphic than our language. For instance, when, when we translate words, we translate them from the Greek to our language, but it loses a lot. For instance, I can tell my wife I love her, but I'm going to tell you straight up, if you take me to Pizza Hut and I order a, dip, a deep dish pizza with ham, extra cheese, and pineapple, I'm going to tell you straight up, I love pizza. So I love Angela, I love pizza. Same but different, right? Who do you think I'm more passionate about? Pizza or Angela? Angela. 
But we lose some things in translation, okay? That's what I'm trying to get to you. So this phrase translated joy set before him, literally this word joy that we translate joy is charis. Literally meaning gladness, cheerfulness, delight. The joy set before him, the delight set before him is you and me. The phrase set before him, prokamai, which literally carries with it, before to lie outstretched. So in other words, Jesus could see the end. He saw his life would save people from their sins, and it brought him great joy to do so. It brought him great delight to do so. I get an allowance every two weeks. That's all I get. Matter of fact, if I were to sign the paycheck that the the church gives me and go to the go to the bank and cash it, they would probably question me. Because Angela gets it and signs my name. She forges my name. But she gives me an allowance. And you know what most you know what I do with my allowance most of the time? It's not pizza, Jimmy. I've got four kids. What do you think I do with my allowance? I'm buying my kids stuff all the time. And you know why I do that? I don't do it to spoil them. If they actually need something and I have the money, because of the joy I get from giving my children things, the things they need, I don't mind giving them $20 if they, if I think they've earned it and they've been good. Now, if they've not been good, I don't give them anything. But it gives me great joy to give to them. It was great joy for Jesus to give himself because he saw the end. Aren't you glad he had passion to finish it out well? Me too. Because Jesus could see the end, it brought him great joy to pay the ultimate price to accomplish his purpose. The purpose of the church The purpose for us as believers is the same as Jesus. We ought to look to the end. We ought to focus on the prize. We ought to share Jesus and go make disciples. Now, the author of Hebrews goes on to say, and I'm about to finish. He goes on to say, consider Jesus. I like this word consider. It comes from the Greek word, and I'm not... If you want all these Greek words that are in my notes, I'll give them to you. I'll give them to Todd and he can make notes and pass them out. I don't think you need to know uh, or hear me try to pronounce some of these things. But just understand this. This idea, the word translated consider, carries with it the idea to think about carefully. To think in regard to taking action. To, to think about with continued attention. So this idea... Of consider doesn't mean to ponder. When you're pondering something, you're just thinking about it, but you're not really interested in doing something. This word consider carries with the idea, I'm thinking about something, but I'm also going to do something, okay? So the author of Hebrews is saying, consider, think about, in regard to taking action, consider Jesus. Literally, when the author is saying, consider Jesus, he's saying three things. Look at the example of Jesus. Learn from the example of Jesus and live like the example of Jesus. So this word considers a loaded word. Look at the example of Jesus. 
learn from the example of Jesus, live like the example of Jesus. So where do we learn to look at Jesus? Where do we, where do we go if we're going to learn about Jesus? Where do we go if we're going to live like Jesus? Where do we go? We go to the scripture. Primarily in the scripture, where, where would we go to learn about Jesus, Ted? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels. Um, the first three are the synoptics. We're going to go to Bible class for a second. And I can share with you, the Gospels are kind of like, let's say Doug and Todd and I and Ted are in the car and we're driving down to uh, Fuji's. I like Fuji's. Anybody like Fuji's? I've already been there once and I'm going to have to go again, I think. It's really good. I'm getting off the point. But we're going to Fuji's. And we're on the way to Fuji's and we get down to this red light down here. And there's a bunch of red lights now. It's all different since I was here before. And someone runs the red light and there's a wreck. We see the wreck. We get out. Goldsboro police comes. We are eyewitnesses. And they ask for a written statement. We've all seen the wreck. But we're going to describe it differently. Todd's going to describe the same thing I saw, but he's going to write it down differently. Ted and Doug and I, we're going to, we're going to write our own version of what we saw. It's the same thing, but it's different. That's kind of how the Gospels are. It's a 4D look, if you will, at the life of Jesus, okay? So, if we're going to learn about Jesus, we go to the Gospels. If we want to look at the life of Jesus, we go to the Gospels. If we want to live like Jesus, we go to the Gospels. And the Gospels tell us what we need to know about Jesus. And as we go to the Gospels, we learn five things. Five things. And and I'm going to bring it to a close. But I think every one of us, if we're going to focus and, and fix our eyes on the prize, and we're going to finish faithful, and we're going to be about sharing Christ and discipling others, Before we can make disciples, we must be disciples. Let me say this. Before we can develop followers of Christ, we must be a follower of Christ. And if I'm going to be a follower of Christ, I think we ought to have these five things in common. So let's just put that down. If I'm going to be a faithful follower of Christ, I think we must have these five things in common. We ought to live like Jesus, number one. We learn these from the gospel. If we're going to pursue the purpose of Christ with passion, number one, we must submit our will to God's authority. If we are going to to be like Christ and pursue the purpose of Christ with passion, at some point we must submit our will to God's authority. Now, where in the text did Jesus submit his will to God's authority? In the Garden of Gethsemane. What did Jesus say? He's praying and he is so intense that the sweat has become like drops of blood falling to the ground. And while he's praying, he's saying, hey, Lord, if there's any other way, let me know. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. At some point, if we're going to pursue the purpose of Christ with passion, we've got to say, you know what? God, I'm going to submit my will to your authority over me, and I want to do whatever you ask, regardless of the cost. Do you know why Satan will be cast in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever? 
Do you know why? It's not because he doesn't believe. He believes. He believes in the person of Jesus Christ. He believes the word of God is true. He believes all that. Do you know why Satan will be cast headlong into the lake of burning sulfur and will remain there and be tormented forever and ever and ever? You know why? He will never submit his will to God's authority. People that spend eternity separated from God in hell will do so because they will never submit their will to God's authority. Jesus said, there's another way, let it be. But nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If I'm going to pursue the purpose of Christ with passion at some point, I've got to say, you know what, God? I submit my will to your authority over me. Bam. That's tough, isn't it? That's total commitment. That's being sold out. Number two. By the way, that's Luke chapter 22, 42, and 43 if you want a biblical reference. If we're going to pursue God's purpose, we must not only submit our will to God's authority. Number two, we must seek to obey God's word and follow his will. If we're going to pursue God's purpose, we must submit our will to God's authority. But we must seek to obey God's word and follow his will. Jesus was tempted by Satan, wasn't he? After 40 days, Satan comes to him and tempts him. And how does Jesus, te- or how does Satan tempt Jesus? How? It's pretty sneaky. He uses portions of the written word of God. But what does Jesus reply to Satan? He replies to Satan, this is really what God's word says. It is written. If we're going to follow God's purpose, pursue the purpose of Christ and do it with passion, we must follow God's word and obey, and obey his will. To follow God's word, we must know his word. How do I know or recognize God's will? How do I know or recognize God's will? It complies with God's word. God's will will never oppose God's word. God's will will never oppose God's word. So if I know God's word, I can obey his will. If we're going to pursue the purpose of Christ with passion, we must seek to obey God's word and follow his will. If we're going to pursue God's purpose, we must serve God with our gifts abilities, resources, and opportunities. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we're not to be conformed to this world, we're to be transformed, and then following, we're supposed to use our gifts, the gifts that God has given us. I believe every one of us, if we are going to pursue the purpose of Christ with passion, we ought to identify our gifts, our abilities, our experience, our opportunities, what we've learned, and and bundle that all together and begin to follow Christ where we are. God's brought us together to use our gifts and for us to be the church and for us to go and do what he's called us to do. Jesus, we learn from him. We must serve him with our gifts, our abilities, our resources and opportunities. We must share the good news of Jesus Christ with others. 
when Jesus went from town to town, he went to the synagogues and he went about healing the sick. But he also went about what? Spreading the what? The good news. Where we go, we ought to be about sharing the good news. Now, let's think about this for one second. I move on. Why would Jesus share good news? Think about that. Why would Jesus share good news? Jesus would share good news because there's bad news. Jesus actually talked more about the bad news than he did the good news. But because there's bad news, that's why we share good news. If we're going to pursue the purpose of Christ with passion, we must share the good news. And number five, if we're going to pursue the purpose of Jesus with passion, we must understand it will cause us to suffer. Have you ever suffered for the name of Jesus? Do we know what that means in our culture? Understand this. The church as we know it is dying in America. And I shared that on Sunday morning. Literally somewhere between 90 and 95% of Americans do not attend church on a regular basis. The church is dying in America. It is thriving in other parts of the world. It is thriving in China. Our minister of education, our associate pastor, just got back from China. And he was telling me uh, the other day how that people are coming to faith in Christ. And when they come to faith in Christ in China, they know it could cost them everything. It could cost them time in prison. It could cost them their life. It could cost them never seeing their family again. They are suffered or they, they, they face the fear of, of suffering and torment. But you know what? Soon, and I want you to hear this, soon in a land that opposes Christianity and sharing the good news about Jesus, soon there will be more Christians in China than the entire population of the United States of America. It costs them everything to follow Christ. We have the freedom to worship. It costs us nothing to worship. And we could come and worship. But more than 90% of people who, who inhabit the United States of America don't even go to church one time a month. You know what we are? We're spoiled and we don't understand. We've taken our eye off the prize and our passions lie elsewhere. Man, sad, isn't it? Think about this for a second. (coughs) That sounded good, didn't it? Think about this for a second. How many people outside the your your friends at church, how many people can you say actually have an authentic walk with Christ? How many people outside your circle of friends in the church, people you work with, how many people would you say have an authentic walk with Christ? 
Most people can't even say they know five. Most people are hard-pressed to find one. We're in danger. If we're going to pursue the purpose of Christ with passion, we will suffer. We'll suffer for what we believe. I'm going to say this and I'll bring it to a close. I have a preacher friend. He came to me, oh, a few months ago. And he's getting ready to preach. And he preaches at a local church near Ada. And he's getting ready to preach. And as he's getting ready to preach, a deacon walks in the back. A deacon of his church walks in the back, but this deacon hasn't been to church in a few months, but he's still a deacon. Then this deacon walks in the back, and the preacher's getting ready to preach, and when he sees this deacon walk in the back, he he seizes with fear. I mean, he's like, He knows he's about to preach, and what he's about to preach may offend that deacon, so... He's so tore up about it, he doesn't preach what God has laid on his heart because it might offend that guy. And he preaches something else. And he's so tore up about it, he calls me. We get together for lunch and he tells me. He would rather water down and do nothing than to face the fear of what this guy might say or do. couple years ago, I am really trying to concentrate on showing our church what it means to be authentic, real, genuine. When you walk outside the church, you walk like Christ. So I'm at a portion of Scripture, and we're dealing with things, and we talk about alcohol. We talk about why I believe any person that names the name of Christ in our culture shouldn't drink, Okay. So I'm laying it out. And you need to know, at First Baptist Church in Ada, we've got some folk, they don't mind. They don't mind throwing one or two down. They don't mind having their picture put in the paper while they're doing it. And they don't like their pastor talking about it all that much. Well, I don't give a flying rip. If we're going to be authentic, we ought to be authentic. Amen? So I'm just bringing it right down the line. And I get done and... A deacon's wife approaches me. She's the first. She approaches me and she said, I can't believe you preach that. I'm like, what are you talking about? She said, we had a fine upstanding family from another church, another denomination come to our church and they're thinking about coming to our church and you're preaching on why we shouldn't drink. They'll never come back. Well, I had two or three more. They'll never come back. Well, let me tell you what happened. They came back, and they kept coming back, and they kept coming back. Every one of their family, they prayed to receive Christ, and we baptized them in our church except the dad. He had already prayed to receive Christ and been baptized. We baptized their entire family, and after we baptized them, I started doing discipleship. And one day, while they were leaving my office after discipleship, she turned around. And she said, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you something. The first Sunday we came and you preached on why believers shouldn't drink. 
that spoke to me and you spoke to me ever since. And she said, I've learned more in three months under the preaching of God's Word than I learned in 30 some odd years in the other church I've been going to. Preach God's Word and live it straight. That's what I say. Amen? We're going to suffer sometimes. We might just suffer. But I'd rather suffer in the name of Jesus and be right than when I get to the end. There's no chinks in my armor, no dents in my shield, no scrapes in my helmet. I played football in fifth and sixth grade. You wouldn't know it, but I was skinny back then. And I didn't get to play very much. I would throw myself on the ground at the end of the game just to have grass stained. You think that's funny, but I do it. I wanted people to know at the end of the game, at least I tried to get in there. Let me tell you something. At the end, when when it comes and it's coming, I genuinely want the Master to say, well done. And if I have to suffer, and I have... I'll suffer because I'd rather suffer and be right. I'd rather suffer and be right than never suffer and do anything for the cause of Christ. Wow. You see, it is coming to an end. I want to make sure that I focus my eye on Him. And if my eyes on him, I'll not only finish, I'll run well, and I'll finish well. Amen. Everyone is standing, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I want to ask you tonight is your eye on the prize? Is your eye on the finish line? Is your eye focused on the purpose of Christ? The author of Hebrews said, let us fix, let us concentrate the gaze on Jesus. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed, no one's looking around. The invitation is a time where I believe God does business with us. Some have said the invitation has lost its, its meaning. And, and, you know, some churches don't even do invitation anymore. But right in my dissertation, I found some things out. That when Jesus dealt with folk one-on-one, he demanded a response from them. And, you know, when the Spirit of God speaks, I believe he still demands a response. And I believe tonight many of us need to respond to what we've heard tonight. If we're going to focus, fix our eyes on Jesus, there's some things we've got to do. There's some things we've got to do. Tonight, some of you, maybe you, you're running, but you've taken your eye off the prize when you do business with God. Some of you, you're not even running anymore. You're off to the side of the road. You're plumb out of the race. You've taken your eye off the prize. Maybe you need to come. Do business with God. Some of you, you've turned your back on God.
You're not committed like you used to be. Some of you need to come and do business with God. Some of you here tonight, you've never, ever committed your life to Christ. You've never submitted your will to God's authority. Tonight, you need to come and do business with God. I believe every one of us need to analyze our own life, our own heart, our own mind. And we need to do business with God so that when we leave this place, we're ready to pursue the passion of Christ. We're ready to pursue the purpose of Christ with some sense of excitement, some sense of passion. If God has spoken, please come. God, thank you for your word. Help us put our eye on you and help us to finish well. Hear this prayer and bless your people in Jesus' name. Amen.